4, the strongest earthquake ever recorded in North America, severely shook south-central Alaska and altered the Kinnick River Valley terrain enough to moderate the yearly flood and lessen its force. The water still broke through with a roar that shook the ground and filled the river from bank to bank with roiling turbulence, but the destruction it had visited upon the works of man was reduced. Even before this flood, however, the river rose dramatically with the spring melt and spread powerful icy waters over shallows and sandbars that had lain untouched and freeze-dried through the silent winter. Released from its ice-locked prison, the water scrabbled and clutched at stone-strewn flats with icy fingers, relearning old channels and inscribing new ones. Seizing fallen branches and logs to carry downstream, it carried some into tangles among the roots of trees that now waited in the shallows, hammered at bridge filings with others, and finally deposited its vast collection of floating debris miles away in the salty waters of Cook Inlet. The restless river explored the gravel of new paths with avaricious fingers, learning what was possible to steal and what lay too heavily or was too embedded for its grasping waters to pilfer. Large boulders might groan and shudder, but most lay patiently, waiting for the river to give up and fall back below their level of dignified solidity. Other things, however, it was possible for greedy waters to loosen and in time sweep away. The desiccated skin and bones of a fox fell with the collapse of an undercut bank and drifted off in a swirl of sticks and leaves. Little by little, sand was scoured from around three half-buried beer cans, tossed aside by a pair of hunters the preceding October, and one by one they bobbed away, slowly filling with water until they rolled beneath the surface to bounce unseen along the riverbed. A dead tree that had hung for several seasons over the water's edge lost its tenuous hold on the earth, and with hardly a splash fell into the current. There it revolved slowly as it was coaxed farther from shore and finally borne seaward on the flood. Far upstream, the rising river tugged at a bit of fabric on a now-submerged sandbar, uncovered as the sand and silt above it was swept away like smoke in the water. At first it was only a square inch or two of dirty cloth, but inquisitive liquid fingers soon persuaded most of a stained blue shirt from its resting place. Gradually, through the long afternoon, sand and gravel were washed away until a shape foreign to the natural surroundings was exposed. A sandal floated from a bare foot and was snatched by the current. A tangled mass of long light hair swayed like some strange water plant. The scarf that had once bound it gone to follow the sandal. When afternoon turned into evening, the length of a slender arm and hand were last to be revealed. A bracelet of purple bruised the wrist, and two nails of the delicate hand were broken off short. The braided Celtic pattern of a silver ring circled the shrunken flesh of the index finger. As the water's flow gently moved the hand, the ring slipped off, and caught by the swirl of an eddy, was washed into the sand of the bank and half-buried. The river continued to wash over the still figure, cleansing some of the remaining soil from the blue shirt to expose rusty brown stains. Pulling at it, 
until at last the body rolled over and lay face up, staring with cold, sightless eyes toward fading light reflected from the surface. The chorus of birds had fallen into silence as they vanished to roosts in the surrounding forest. Only the late spring thaw continued its relentless murmur in the gathering darkness, joined once by the haunting call of an owl, then by the howl of a wolf somewhere high on the mountain. Except for a pale three-quarter moon and one faint star caught in a veil of cloud, it was full dark when the persistent river finally lifted the human form from its shallow resting place and tumbled it gently down into secret water. Chapter 2 Late on a mild but cloudy evening of the second week of June, Jesse Arnold stood looking with satisfaction into a deep rectangular excavation in the yard of her property on Kinnick Road, in the bottom of what would soon become a basement for the new cabin she was helping to build, stood Hank Peterson's bobcat, waiting where he had left it to finish the digging on his return the next day. Two piles of wooden forms lay nearby, ready to be assembled in the hole before the pouring of a concrete foundation, to support the log walls that would soon rise above it. A light breeze had been whispering through the trees throughout the afternoon. Now it had all but died, leaving stillness in its wake, and from somewhere in the surrounding woods, Jessie could hear the distant protest of a chainsaw that one of her neighbors was using, taking advantage of the extended June light to catch up on his chores. A pesky mosquito whined in her ear, and she swiped casually at it with one hand, used to the omnipresent annoyance warm weather encouraged. Summer solstice was little more than a week away, a significant date for Alaskans. Many who live in lower latitudes all but ignore the hinges of the year, but people who make their home in the far north are extremely aware of them. June may be the welcome beginning of summer, but always in the minds of northerners is the knowledge that each day succeeding the solstice will be several minutes shorter. By mid-December, south-central Alaska's 19 hours of mid-June daylight will have shrunk to five and a half, and the majority of each day will be spent in darkness, the country locked once more in frozen silence. Jessie and Winter had no quarrel with each other, for they were well acquainted, and she was always ready to enjoy Alaska's compelling wilderness with her sled dog teams. But with each spring's return, she found her energy level rising as the days lengthened, and the arc of the sun's increasingly northern path brought it higher in the sky. This particular summer would be filled with the construction of her new house. Impatient to get on with it, she was pleased with the pit she was examining. Before log walls could go up, the basement must go down. It was a significant and much-anticipated beginning. A late and rainy spring had kept the ground too wet and muddy for earlier digging. The soil was still damp, but contractor Vic Prentice had finally declared it acceptable, unwilling to wait longer. If we don't get going now, there'll be snow on our heads before we get it buttoned up. So all day the roar of the bobcat had filled the clearing. It had been gray and cloudy, threatening more rain that thankfully had not fallen to halt the work. But now as the sun began to set, 
it sank below the overcast into a clear band of sky in the west, and sudden concentrated rays of golden light were cast across Jessie's cabin site like a benediction. A few midges, dust motes, and a mosquito or two floated lazily in the gilded brightness. The tall birch of the surrounding grove split the light with protracted fingers of deep blue shadow that contrasted with the richness of the sunshine. Against the shadows and threatening clouds, the new yellow-green birch leaves caught the light so intensely that each one seemed to have an inner glow of its own, and they shimmered as one last breath of the dying breeze set them briefly astir. The persistent mosquito, or one of her voracious sisters, returned to interrupt Jessie's appreciation with a high-pitched whine of complaint. Time to put on more repellent or go indoors, she told herself. But once again, she waved the insect away and continued her inspection of the hole in her yard, reluctant to relinquish the pleasurable reassurance that a new cabin was about to rise like a phoenix from the ashes of the old. She could almost see what it would look like when it was finished, clean and new, fitting in companionably with the old-growth timber of the surrounding woods. Then, struck with amusement that a thing as mundane as a whole could be so inspiring, she smiled at her own enthusiasm. Stepping forward to the very edge of the pit, back to the sun, she shaded her eyes with both gloved hands to take one last look, for the light of the setting sun had cast the depths into such dark shadow, it was difficult to make out the earthen walls Peterson had carved so skillfully. As the movement brought into her line of sight a narrow section of the far wall that had been hidden by the bobcat, an object...